Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at the boot camp, back again, and I am fresh back from the beautiful state of Colorado up there with Mark Halleck and the guys, Jeff DeClue and all those guys. Man, saw so many of the guys that we know up there, saw Craig Tuck and James Nugent and Evan Skelton and so many great guys, and I was staring at the the gorgeous scenic views. And I I started to feel my heartstrings pull a little bit, Bob, and I'm wondering if God's calling me to relocate to the mountains of Colorado. I think he is, Jimbo, as long as you have a house that has a place where I can stay in back, whatever that is. If it's a shed, just got to have a heater, maybe a hot plate, a restroom. I'm all in. I love love Colorado. Yeah, man. Look, I I went to Halleck's house and we had a fireside chat on his back porch. I don't know if you've been there, but his back porch, I feel, is big enough. And they have this fire pit thing that during the winter months of COVID, they decided, regardless of how cold it was, that they would continue to have worship services outside. And so Jeff DeClue, and I'm probably outing him on some OSHA violations here, but Jeff DeClue got these uh, gas fire pits and took the governor off and and so, man, these things can, this thing can throw a flame. Nice. I mean, it, it's pretty intense. And I feel like, you know, with a good tent and that fire pit, I could probably survive there up on just on Halleck's back porch. Yeah. Well, and of course, he's holding you the whole time and hugging you. So you're getting the body warmth <laughs> of a giant huggable Mark Halleck. So, you know, I think you could survive. That is absolutely true. You would definitely receive the body warmth of Mark Halleck. <laughs> My, I took, I took a buddy... Uh, a pastor friend of mine from Jacksonville up with me. He was like, man, I love Halleck. But first time I met him, he like just, I mean, it was a deep, deep embrace. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's Mark Halleck, man. That's, that's the love you get from Mark Halleck. That's awesome. That was good. All right. Well, Bob, we've got a special guest on today. I'm going to let you uh, kind of take it, introduce the topic and the guest to us. And this one may be a little, a little heavier, but I think a helpful episode. And so talk to us, Bob, about what we've got going on for this episode. Yeah, Jimbo, you know, last episode we talked about when sheep bite and it was an episode that was directed on, you know, how do you, how do you pastor people who may uh, have a, a sense of just, they're always embroiled in conflict or there there's a struggle there at the church or the church has a long history of that. And how do you navigate all that? When is it time to go? And, you know, what are some some uh, strategies for pastoring people who are difficult to pastor? And so along those lines, we have a guest replanter revitalizer with us who who I've known for, for some time now. And he recently made a transition and we had the opportunity to sit down some weeks ago and talk about that transition. And so I thought, you know what, hey, would you be willing to tell a little bit of your story and come on here and help guys understand how you navigated a challenging situation and then ended up determining, you know, for the better, better part, for the, for the health of my family, uh, I'm just going to need to transition to a different place. And sometimes that's the reality. Jimbo, just this week, I got a, saw a message on one of the private boards that we're a part of in terms of replant team. And one of our guys said he had a message from a deacon right before their business meeting. They had a, another meeting right before then. And the deacon said, you know, you might be surprised that after this business meeting, you might not have a job, right? So I uh, 
I think that <laughs> it's not this pastor we're talking to, but it's a it's another friend of mine. And I'm like, man, that is a tough situation. You know, how do you navigate that? So we know that there are a lot of brothers out there who are facing those situations, and so we want to be helpful to them. So in this in this vein, we've we've invited this replanter to come on and tell a little bit of his story. We want to stay first of all, we want to stay focused on Jesus and the gospel and and the hope that we have in Him. And then, but secondly, we also want to acknowledge that sometimes it's difficult and you have to make decisions to transition. I'm, I'm thankful to have our guest on, and so we want to welcome you. Tell us a, just a little bit about your story uh, as you began to revitalize or replant the church you were uh, called to uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, well, it's great to be with you guys. Um, honored to uh, be here with y'all. And yeah, it was just a little bit over four years ago, my wife and family and I, we were called to a what I would consider to be a church revitalization. And it was just this church that, I mean, I tell you what, they they had desire for Jesus, it seemed. Everything seemed to be, you know, we want to go in this specific direction. I remember even just some of the answers during some of the candidating process. It was, it was just the right answers, you know. So I remember leaving and kind of uh, as my wife and I were just kind of praying things through and, and mulling things over, it was just like, man, we it seems like we want the same things, you know? And so I, I do believe to this day that the Lord called us there and we were there for a specific reason. But yeah, I believe it was, it was a church revitalization. Still believe it's a church revitalization. And they are, as everybody else is, in desperate need of Jesus and his saving mercies and his power to uh, move forward. So one of the things you you talked about here in your first response here was that you you had some questions going in that you wanted to have answered just to kind of discern who this church was and what they were about, what they'd hoped. So how did you form those? And then was there any indication during their initial answer process that, I mean, you, you kind of attested to the fact that you said it seemed like they were going, uh, in the, they wanted to go in the same direction you had hoped to, to go in. But at some point, you probably had a first warning flag or shot across the bow. So kind of tell us about one, how did you develop? those questions? And then two, when did you realize, oh my goodness, they're, what they said in the interview process was not really where some of them want to go? Yeah. So that's a, that's a multi-layer. That's like an onion, man. You got to pull back some of those layers to kind of uh, <laughs> decipher some of that stuff. But um, Hey, well, I like when, the movie Shrek, so go ahead, man. Like Shrek is one of my favorite movies. So, you know, Shrek talks about onions. Just start, start and layer it. And, and Jimbo likes to go to Outback and get the, the blooming onion, so we're all good here. Yeah. I, I should have said, you know, I got that illustration from Shrek, you know, with everything going on. So anyway, yeah. So when we got, when we were candidating, I remember, you know, we did have questions and, and some of their questions were pretty powerful. What was the difference? Be, you know, I remember specifically being asked, what's the difference between a pastor and a preacher? And I remember opening scripture and them saying, boy, we were like that. You know, we, we love that about this process is because you've had the Bible open. I remember one of the deacons even saying, if, if God's word says, it, if, if God's word tells us we need to, you know, pack this thing up and hold a tent service out in the middle of a field because the Bible says it, that's what we need to do. We need to follow our pastor. I remember talking about the Baptist faith and message. I remember talking about another specific confession they were using, the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. I remember talking about discipleship. I remember talking about reaching neighborhoods. All of the answers were correct. In fact, it was just so obvious to me that it was, it was very clear. They want to go in the same direction I do, and this is where we need to, uh, I think the Lord is calling us here. It was pretty quick, I would say, into the process of actually getting there and having conversations with people that I began to even wonder if they knew what the definitions of some of these words were. You know, sometimes we can throw up Christian lingo, gospel, evangelism, 
yada yada. But began to see that this was, you know, kind of what they said was not really what they were were doing. And I remember whenever we had a VBS, it was the first VBS that we were there for. And all of, you know, how... In, in little neighborhoods and rural areas and stuff like that, you're going to get kids from one VBS to another VBS to another VBS, and, and they're going to transition. A lot of them are going to have different church homes, but I remember specifically being in a situation that these were really just kind of a lot of the, the same kids who already had church homes, and there wasn't really a whole lot of engagement with the neighborhoods. And so I'm, I remember bringing that up and saying, hey, we need maybe act like it, uh, missionaries, you know, and, and try to reach the lostness, interact with families and began to see, well, we've done that before. That's never worked before. You're never going to get those kinds of things to happen, you know, and it was it was those kinds of answers. And the more that I kind of pressed with various programs in the church and various strategies for discipleship and evangelism, the more you began to hear, we've done that before. We've tried that before. It doesn't work here. Move on. I remember even as we were opening things up and I was pretty open, as open as I think I could have been about, here's some of the changes we need to make to maybe worship service. The church didn't have a scripture reading. So we added a scripture reading and it was probably two to three weeks in after I added a scripture reading, we began to hear grumbles. In fact, I had one man even confront me and say, I don't know who you think you are adding all of this scripture to the worship services, (laughs) but I don't believe... I think what you're doing and what you learned in seminary is good and it's all well, but I don't think that's going to work here. So wait, so wait a second. Yeah, he, he too much scripture in the service didn't like the scripture reading. So yeah, so would you would you say changes to the worship service? That you don't mean that you started wearing skinny jeans and adding fog smoke and going super contemporary. You didn't throw the hymnals in the dumpster. The, the, the contentious point here was adding a scripture reading to the service. And I moved the pastoral prayer to more towards the beginning of, of the service. Okay. I see how he thought. I see how he thought that was heretical. I I, I see that. <laughs> yeah, and and, and really the reasoning behind it was he felt like he said basically once you're done with the first scripture reading, I'm I'm good to go. I'm ready to go by that point. And so I I think and, and these were just you know at least in my own mind I'm I'm kind of thinking like man, I'm not like going warp speed here. And, and another change that we made was, and, and it was unanimous. Uh, keep in mind, I was voted into the church 99 to 1. And there was a lot of enthusiasm. There was a lot of celebration. And one of the, the first things I saw was that they didn't have pew Bibles. It was just red Baptist hymnal all the way across. And so I wanted to maybe say, hey, how do we get God's word in people's hands more into their ears, into their eyes? So we added hymnals, or, or sorry, we added pew Bibles along with the hymnals there. And then that were, there was even a mild point of contention there. And, and so I can go back a little bit even to some of the things that happened previous to me arriving at the church. But the one thing I quickly learned was that the church was not on the same page with each other. You really kind of had a divided church there. Number two, I learned quickly that the search committee didn't really represent church as a whole or what I would consider, what I would say the power players. And number three is that even having us be brought on. I remember there was a point of contention before we even arrived at the single fact that our pay package had been told us one number, but we were actually, the the, the church hadn't actually voted on that 
Wow. And so the church had already been upset with the fact that many thought we were being paid too much. One person thought we weren't being paid enough. And it was just this, it, it was kind of this communication problem from the get go. And we continued to be recipients of that communication problem as time. Did you think that particularly, and we, we do hear this, this is not unusual for uh, a search committee to be saying one thing and then the leaders of the church saying another, and particularly around the salary package, did was that a discovery after you got your first paycheck and had packed up all the boxes and moved into you know a home, or was that on the way in? Oh, by the way, we're not paying you as much as we told you we were going to pay you. There were for the first year, we we probably had about a two month honeymoon, I would say, mm-hmm. and, and through that first year, three months in, we and most of the staff positions were volunteer, but I had I had our youth guy confess sin. He confessed to doing marijuana for the past three years. And so we had to ask him to step down. There wasn't any. That was just one of the things I pushed for. I I really didn't ask anybody's permission. I just kind of let people know what was happening. And he needed to step down from that leadership position. And it was kind of one little thing after another until there was finally a very contentious meeting with church leadership and deacons. And it was in that meeting that I actually found out about a year in that everything had kind of been in disarray, you know, with even how the church was bringing us in. And so it was finally a year in that those cracks and those fault lines began to really kind of show themselves that maybe the church wasn't as together as what they had kind of contended themselves to be. Fast forward a little bit. You you know, you were there for about three years or so. Surely there were some good things that happened while you were there and and possibly, you know, the church did come together on a few things. As, As you look back and kind of reflect on it, tell us some of those good points of your tenure there where you felt like, okay, we we had a rocky start. But these are some things that I, I feel good about and we could celebrate, you know, at the time and then also looking back. Yeah, I do believe that there were many who were very hungry for discipleship and we were able to have many one on ones, many get togethers, many sit downs, many, many sessions of just around my desk or around a coffee or something like that to open God's word. In fact, from one discipleship relationship that I had, I began to see this man just flourish at his job in telling others about Jesus. I mean, so that was awesome. Began to see people kind of come out of some nominalism, I guess. And even one young woman, she was raised Catholic and I was able to kind of be the, the Holy Spirit was the catalyst, but I was able to be the one to baptize her, you know, into Christ, you know, Christ alone, I'll say that. And the church had a wonderful sense of community. And oftentimes you saw that. You saw them rally around things like funerals, and they were really together on many things. One of the things I think that really presented a division was theology. And, and really just the understanding of discipleship and walking with Jesus. But you could easily set all of that aside and you would see that, you know, many of them were family, many of them were friends, many of them grew up together, and many of them had a very close sense of unity. And when you begin to open scripture and see, here are some of the sacrifices that are made and here are some of the, the reasoning behind what it means to follow Jesus, you begin to see differences then and you begin to see more of the spectrum then. And I do know that the church themselves, they were they were recipients when I got there, probably a few years before that, they were recipients of other groups of church splits. And so the churches that stayed, they would stay in the building and that group of people would go find a home at this church. And that happened twice. So I know that contention is something that they were they were very familiar with and it almost seemed normal in church life to kind of go through many of those difficult things. 
very difficult. Yeah. yeah, so it seemed like the normal family dance, right? So we, we always fuss and fight at each other or whatever. And, and so that that is something that, that can be challenging. So at some point in the not so near past, some things happened perhaps that you, you began to ask the question or maybe your wife or you would together begin to say, hey, maybe maybe this is not the place that we should stay. And maybe it would be better for us to, to transition on. Can you talk about when when those things made the turn and how you guys discern that, you know what, we've labored as well as we can labor here. It's The Lord is moving us on. Can you talk about that a little bit and that transition? Yeah. You know, through those four years that we were there, when we first got there, I remember telling people, and, and I had a very strong conviction. I, w- I was mentored by incredible men, incredible men that had fantastic philosophies of going and staying. Don't move. And I remember telling people, if the Lord has his way, I want to be buried here among you all at this church. That has been said so many times it can be easily attested. Through many of the trials and the tribulations and just the periods of toughness, the one thing I really began to notice was my wife wasn't really flourishing and things were very difficult for her. Began to notice her having not really a joy when it came to being around that community of believers. I won't get into every single thing uh, that had happened, but there were um, there were really difficult things that and hateful things, you know, said and done. It was very difficult to build relationships with kind of the pastoral family and church members. And so, to be honest, when it came to kind of trying to build relationships and have those communities, kind of ministry people would get a bit of a stiff arm from some and began to see that she was really like just not flourishing in that situation. About a year in to two years in to three years in, things are really starting to kind of hit grindstones, you know, and then there towards the end, we began to hit certain situations that I remember having very difficult conversations in our kitchen, in our living room about, I can't do this. I can't. I can't, I can't be this way for a long time. I would bring some of these things up with the church leadership, began to make it very clear some of the, the ways that they were feeling, and it would be chalked up to, well, that's her youth, or that's her, that's this, or yeah, we've heard some of those things before, or you know, some of the, the hateful things that were said. We realized there was just a pretty thick strain of gossip and other things. And it was just, it was getting really, really difficult to just kind of watch her like that. So I began to just seek counsel with, with many, many people. And one of the first things that was clear after I began to share them specific instances, many I can think of at three three guys right now wondering why I was still there at all. And it was really through those kinds of conversations that we began to like truly entertain. Is the Lord doing something here? Are we supposed to be walking away with this? And there there was even guilt in our hearts. There was there was this sense of this doesn't feel right. Giving up, failing, all of those other kinds of feelings began to kind of come along with this package, but we knew that there were just things that weren't right and they couldn't stay the same way. And if they were going to stay the same way, then we couldn't be a part of it. So, yeah. You know, as you say, what what advice would you have for uh, a pastor and his family going through similar circumstances? And how? what advice would you have for them on how to discern if God is calling them away or to stick it through? How, I mean, how how does someone determine that? 
in that situation? I know specifically for us and every situation I believe is going to be different. It's, it's almost like churches are like families. And so it's, it's basically like giving the same advice to each family on how their marriage ought to be handled and children ought to be raised. And churches are, are very similar. And you see those corresponding features and, and factors within scripture as well. But I know for us, it really began to just hit a point of absolute dependent prayer. And I don't say that as some sort of a, a, a pietistic answer on, you know, typically you, you'll read something and prayer will be first and guys want to scroll just a little bit to get to actually the action statements and, and those kinds of things. But it really was. It was, it was uh, tear-filled prayer, which was very uncommon for us, you know, and it just didn't, it wasn't something that, uh, you know, I, I typically don't pray the way I was praying in these situations. And so, so that was the first thing that we did. I think the second thing that we really began to do was seek tons of counsel outside, unbiased, unattached counsel from other guys and, and get very, get very real with them on exactly what is going on. And when we began to do that, of, of course, we began to get kind of different answers, but I think probably only once out of, man, months and months of probably 20, 30 guys that we were kind of going to and saying, what would you do in this situation? We probably had one tell us, well, I think you ought to try to stick this out. Everybody else was was kind of giving us the answer of saying, well, I, I, you might need to be moving on or you might need to be thinking about something else or you might need to be taking care of your wife in this next season or, or something along these lines. And so that was the third thing that we did. And another thing that we did was really began to kind of like just pay attention to the to the ebbs and flows of what God was doing and what doors he may have been opening uh, at this time. And it was just through that that we began to have other other relationships that we didn't have maybe four years ago. But in these situations, when things are real foggy, it can really be difficult to try to figure out what that next step is. And so I just tell guys, surround yourself, get guys near you, get in the word, get in some deep, real, like, I mean, just heart prayer with the Lord and, and also pay attention to your church. The Lord can do anything. I truly believe that he can raise a valley of dead, dry bones into an army all by his power and all by his word but that was something we had to really do what is it truly going to be to to move in one direction as a church into another how how's the culture of this going to change and we began to talk to leadership we began to and and one of the things that we weren't hearing was we're going to do what we can to change this it was more of just well this is the way things have always been and having conversations with previous pastors and seeing kind of a status quo line from one pastor to another. It was it was all of those factors that we we just felt like the Lord was moving us on. Yeah. Man, that's so good that you uh, you know had the counsel around you and the friends and then just also realized um, that your situation was part of a long a larger and longer story that there was a a unique personality, spiritual maturity, receptiveness or unreceptiveness to the work of the Lord in that particular location. And so a lot of guys in your position want to take all of the blame uh, and all of the glory. And, you know, obviously the Lord gets all of the glory. And I think what I would want to say to, to you and to others is 
guys, you, you probably don't bear all of the blame, right? And you just need to understand that there's a lot that has gone on in a situation before you that it contributes to your present if you're in a difficult situation. And so, you know, real quick in like 35 seconds, you left there and has the Lord taken care of you? And how is the Lord taking care of you? Oh man, the Lord has taken such in his kindness, I don't deserve his care, but the Lord has placed us in another context, in another context specifically brought us here to heal. We were brought out of that situation, them fully knowing that situation and saying, we want to bring you here. And I can honestly say the past three months have been healthier than the past three years where we were. And it's, you know, kind of dissecting everything. It's it's not that we have left with a sense of bitterness, but I don't think I even realized how dry my own soul was or my family's until we just kind of hit an oasis and you begin to just drink and drink and drink and drink. And so, yeah, we were, we were spiritually dry. That's a good word. Hey, I just want to say, Jimbo, as we wrap up here, we, we've got some good brothers out there that are just like our brother here that are in a difficult situation and they may need to reach out to somebody. First of all, replantatnam.net is a great way to get in touch with some of us here at the Replant team. And we're going to also put uh, the 800 pastors line. If you are a pastor and you find yourself in a really difficult situation and you're concerned about, you know, just talking about to anybody about what's going on in your life and you really need to download some things, we're going to put the 1-800-PASTORS line, the care line on the show notes. And just let me encourage you to call that line, reach out, don't bear the pain and the weight by yourself, it is difficult and you are not alone. So whether the replant team or the boot camp team or the 1-800-PASTORS team can help you, we're here to help you because we want to be with you in the trenches. Absolutely. I think there's so many great insights from what you shared in, man, the search committee does not, if if I would say even maybe rarely accurately represents the sentiments of the entire congregation. And so for a guy going in, candidating, uh, maybe figure out some ways to f- to go beyond the search committee to get uh, sentiment and some things. It, it, I don't know that that would have even prevented what you've been through, but perhaps it could help another guy at some point. And man, things often seem very rosy as you go in and people use a lot of language so often that seems like, man, we're ready. We're ready to, to take these jumps. But it doesn't always go that way. So thank you for being willing to come onto the podcast with us and vulnerably kind of share your story and, and everything with us. And I would echo what Bob said. Guys, don't go through this alone. Hopefully you have some people around you. And if you don't, let us know. Let the replant team know. Let 1-800-PASTORS know. Don't, don't walk through this. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches, big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.